Welcome to Cult America, where we discuss the weird, wonderful, and worrying rituals and sacrifices that make America great. I'm Carl Joseph Black, a Brooklyn native born into the cult that is America. And I'm Lisa Charlotte, a migrant who bought into the cult from afar. And we have a guest today. Yeah. Introduce yourself, sir. Hi, friends. Uh, my name's Ian. I uh, am a host of the Why Whiskey podcast, where we talk about uh, all things booze and American history. Yeah. Ooh. And yeah, I've joined Ian on his podcast. I think we ended up talking for two and a half hours. <laughs> it was a while. <laughs> and then just released it into the world. Like, here you go. Yep. You want to listen to this, right? It's so good. Um, <laughs> so, guys, I have a question for you. America or cult, they will use any means necessary to be free. Oh, that's America. That's America. Yeah. I, Ian's I agreeing. Agree. Yeah, it is America. It's also kind of a cult, though. It's also kind of cult, as it always is, but definitely America this time. Um, but I'm three for three. You're three for three? I'm three for three on getting the answer right. <laughs> okay? We so. do factor fiction on Sweet Bitter, and I like almost always get it wrong. So. <laughs> You're doing way better than me at like answering these questions. But we are going to talk about a cult, because we have to talk about a cult. So we are going to talk about the Branch Davidians and Waco. Wait, the brunch? The brunch. I'm sorry. I oh, 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 oh. I, I was like, I'm like, the, Wait, I'm like there was a cult centered around brunch? I mean, I think we should start that cult. Because <laughs> uh, that sounds fire. I'm in. Personally. Yeah. I would love, yeah. Brunch cult yep. sounds good. I mean, we are drinking beer at 12. Yeah. On a Friday. We're on brunch. Carl rocked up with Guinness today. I don't know why. Yeah. I didn't question it. I just I poured myself just, a glass. It just, it just felt like it, you know, it just felt right. Like a Guinness kind of day. Well, it's early, right. It's, right? it's like beer and coffee together. So like, I am actually drinking beer and coffee together. Okay. And can I tell you that Guinness and coffee together is actually delicious. Like I'm taking one sip alternately of each. I'm sure it's like really bad for my heart, but uh, it's really delicious. So you're going to get super excited and totally down at the same time. It's, it's, exactly. This is going to be interesting to watch. Well, if I don't drink the Guinness alone, I'd probably fall asleep. It's like... the balance. <laughs> it's the balance. It's a balanced diet. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys know about the Branch Davidians and Waco? It looks like, Ian, you know a little bit about this. Uh, so I was uh, super young when all that went down, but uh, but I remember watching that on TV. They went to serve uh, a war at uh, David... Uh, what was his last David name? David Koresh. David Koresh, yeah. yep. Um, uh, and, and how it all developed was weird. And the FBI, I don't believe, was thinking it was going to be what it was when they got there. And I remember, like, they went to go serve the warrant. It was this big deal and breaking news. Uh, when all of a sudden bullets started going the other way and that it was like, whoa, what is happening right now? And uh, obviously it ended with the, the fiery destruction and uh, mm -hmm. uh, death of a lot of people. Uh, and, and it wasn't until that point that we really kind of got a look into it because they had stayed relatively quiet on the grand scheme of things. They were, the Branch Davidians were around for like since the 1800s. As a, as a movement. So they'd been around for a while. It was just like the insertion of David Koresh, which kind of like, it became, like it properly founded in 1955. And, and like, I haven't done as much research on this as I should have, but I was listening to uh, another podcast about it. And the Branch Davidians came from the Seventh-day Adventist church and they had been like brewing for a long time. So it had actually, the official Branch Davidians had been around since 1955. So they'd been around for a long, a long, long time. And this siege went for 51 days and has like sparked a whole bunch of stuff uh, in terms of like 
views on the military and cults and yeah, like 51 days is a crazy amount of time. It is. It's like really interesting that like he was able to kind of convince a group of people to like fight back for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it started with 70 agents. It ended up with 900 agents descending on the compound with tanks and shit because, you know, your police are pretty well funded in this country. Um, they're not really sure who, uh, fired first, but the cult still exists today. So the people who survived are still like culting out there, which is pretty wild. And yeah, there was a lot of issues with it on a kind of public facing scale in terms of the government. It spurred uh, the growth of militia groups, um, in 1995 on the second anniversary, Timothy McVeigh carried out the Oklahoma city bombing, which was at that time, the biggest terrorist attack uh, on American soil. So Pretty pretty big legacy, but that's uh, yeah. that's the branch Davidians and Waco. I mean, I cannot do it justice in in our little beginning of the episode bit. You can should go listen to the many like five freaking podcast series about it or read a book about it. It's like super interesting. But our cult behavior today is the group teaches or implies that is it is supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary this may result in members participating in behaviors or activities they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group that is very wordy for example lying to family or friends or collecting money for bogus charities which i think we've spoken about in the past or i don't know like joining the military and so ian the reason we got you on this episode is because you are in the military still currently correct yeah for a few more days oh just a few more days just a few more days okay yeah a week from today, I have my retirement ceremony. So, Oh, wow. wow. That's so exciting. I didn't realize it was so soon. Yeah. This is going to come out like just after your retirement. Oh, Does that mean you can be like actually like really candid in what you tell us? Or is he still like bound by some, you know, rules? Can, How does it work? I can be a little more liberal, I think, right now. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably still be a little guarded, you know, uh, trying to watch my mouth for the last 20 years is, uh, yeah, it's not going to just like shut off overnight. But uh uh, but yeah, uh, no, I, I will uh, I will answer whatever questions you have to ask. <laughs> Amazing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey to joining the military? Uh, sure. It was it started kind of uh, bizarrely. You know, uh, we were not doing great. We were living in southern Michigan and uh, it was married, had two kids at the time, was super young. And uh, it it got us the opportunity to get out of there, you know? And mm. uh, so it was a move for the family really to, to join. It just got us out of that location in, in Southern Michigan and, you know, put us on the road to adventure and independence somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, our whole, our families were in Michigan. So there wasn't a lot of like establishing ourselves as a family um, before then. So that was kind of the reason, uh, you know, I, I wish it was a uh, more patriotic. It was, April of, uh, of 2001. So 9-11 uh, didn't occur until after I was, I was already in. Oh, wow. What wow. an interesting time to join. It really was. I was in, I was in my training, uh, my basic training and advanced individual training before I actually got to my unit when 9-11 happened. And uh, so and we were out uh, doing a, a field exercise, you know, like shooting notional bad guys in the woods um, when all of a sudden, you know, it, uh, the whole thing kicked off and, uh, and that changed literally everything for the rest yeah. of my time in the service. So, uh, but, but that's kind of where that all started. Um, the, the war kicks off. Uh, I was in Afghanistan in 2002 for a while. I uh, did some, some re- aerial resupply stuff. I'm a parachute rigger by trade. So uh, parachutes jumping, uh, dropping things from airplanes to get, you know, beans and bullets to, uh, to the guys fighting. So it's kind of a, where I've, uh, I've made my bread and butter. And 
uh, have gotten some great opportunities deployed to Iraq for a while, um, been stationed all across the country from Yuma, Arizona to Colorado Springs to Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, never, uh, never to Europe. Fortunately, I never really wanted to go there. Uh, but I never seen, wanted to go to Europe. I, I no, not with uh, with the family because we always had like young kids and stuff. So that, yeah. that would have been like. And Alaska was uh, Alaska was way out there. You know, you're not driving home on the weekends to you know from yeah. Alaska. So. Uh, so that was about as far as we wanted to to go from from family. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, from America. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, um, you don't have anything against Europe. You just didn't want to be that far. Oh, away. yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, getting on a plane from Anchorage, Alaska, to fly down to you know Michigan is actually you know, it doesn't require visas or or international mm, travel mm. stuff. So uh, it was always a lot easier just to throw them on a plane and and send them back if uh, if need be. So. But uh, but yeah, that was uh, our adventure. Uh, last couple of years, I was down at West Point in New York for uh, for a while, running their their parachute team, and now I'm finishing up my my time up in uh, Natick, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, doing some uh, R and D developmental stuff for aerial delivery systems. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool, man. Definitely, and it seems like it's been like pretty positive. The army's been good to us. Uh, yeah. You know, we've we worked hard. You know, we we took our licks. There's been a lot of uh, nights away, you know, I was, when we went to Iraq, we were there for 15 months. So, you know, wow. uh, Jill had to, to kind of run the house. She had Annie, our youngest, uh, while I was gone. So yeah, it was, uh, uh you know, it, it, lots of challenges. Um, mm. but, uh, but our experience has been a positive one and it's, it's been good. We've gotten to do some really great stuff. I've gotten some of the best jobs that the army has to offer. Um, and, and it's been wonderful. How'd you get into uh, parachute rigging? Like that's so niche, so specific. My recruiter sold me so hard, and I bought it like an <laughs> ass. Like seriously, it was one of those deals where he's like, "Oh man, you get to jump out of airplanes, and you only got to work like four hours a day since we all kinds of time for school." He was full of shit. Um, <laughs> so the jumping out of airplanes was cool the first time, and then after that, it just hurt. Um, until a few years later, and I got to do some different type of jumping. But uh, yeah. but yeah, that was that was painful. And they don't tell you that you know the jump is forty five seconds long. Um, you prep for nineteen hours before, and then you play in the woods for like twenty seven hours afterwards. So it's like all of that is omitted. You know, you, yeah. so the jump is cool, like jumping out of the airplane in the middle of the night with nine hundred of your <laughs> I best have buddies. No desire to jump out of an airplane. Um, How many times have you jumped out of an airplane? I am uh, over seventeen hundred now. Wow! Wow! That's that's yeah. like total, or is that like? in the field i don't know how to say that oh that's like is that in on judy in judy judy i don't know you know what i'm asking you <laughs> <laughs> uh yes uh, so all of my jumps have been for the army some of them were not uh most of them were uh either instructing uh folks how to jump so i taught mm -hmm. down at the free fall school down in yuma and then obviously my time at west point we did a lot of uh uh, instruction and then uh, sport jumping there. So a lot of the jumps came from there. I've got probably three or four hundred tactical jumps. I'll call them um, where yeah. you know you you leave with a bunch of dudes and you go play in the woods for a while afterwards. So wow, pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. I I, I haven't jumped out of a plane. You wanted to be a pilot though. I did. I wanted to. Uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to join the Air Force and fly planes. But I didn't have the, uh, the the vision for it. I have really bad eyesight. Gotcha. And um, I wanted to get like surgery to kind of um, hmm. correct my eyes so that I could do it. But apparently, if there's like scarring in your eyes, 
and you're flying at a particular speed, sometimes it can open the scarring, which may open the scarring in your eye or something like that. So that sounds horrific. Yeah. So like that was like you really tried. You were like determined. Yeah, that was the worry. But I was yeah, I was gonna do laser eye surgery and everything for it. Um, just so I could fly planes. Ended up not happening. So I just went to Was it uh, to fly planes or to be patriotic? Um or a bit of both? I it was a little bit of both. Uh it's interesting. In in states like New York, uh military recruitment is fairly low. You find that military recruitment is like pretty high in like the South. Mm. Um, well, I go do student recruitment fairs, right, for work, and there's always like military, like a big military presence there. Of oh, wow. People trying to get recruit, recruit students. This is like in New York? No, no, no. It's like everywhere I go. So, like, there's, I go to student fairs all over the country, okay. and every single student fair, the biggest like sponsor is always the military. Yeah. And they've always got like the stand at the front. It's always like five times as big as mine. And a bunch of people walking around in uniform and stuff trying to... Looking yeah. super fucking cool. <laughs> like, that. that's a great... Like, it's a great sale. You see these guys, like, they're just decked out. Everything's clean. Terrifying. Everything's shiny. It's terrifying. You know what I mean? And and you're like, yo, what, what the fuck do those guys do? Oh, those are, like, G.I. Joe guys. Like, you know what I mean? You just start... <laughs> <laughs> you just start thinking these guys are, like, cartoons. You're seeing them in real life. And then you're like, what are you guys doing? They only, you know, like Ian said, they only tell you the cool shit. Yeah, you know? sure. they're like, yeah, like we we fly, we go all over the world, we see all these different chicks, we do all of this stuff, and like you know, I fly planes. I'm a pi- I'm a fighter pilot. I'm like fighter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this is this is the life I've been waiting for. You know, my, t- <laughs> so my ex was in the navy and he toured Afghanistan and. He totally was just an impressionable young guy whose like dad had been in the navy and so like. When he didn't know what to do again, like recruiters were like, it's so cool. And he's like, wow, okay. And then he was like, fucked up for like a great deal of his life. What was his experience like in the Navy? Uh, I think like it was fine. Like I think when he was in Japan and stuff, it was like pretty cool. I think that like once he got in, he felt like pressured to like, you know, I think he had a pretty fucked up experience in Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just have like a lot of nightmares and stuff. Um, my my okay. son just joined uh, this past oh, really? summer. Oh, wow. How do you feel about that? Um, <sighs> so I am done because my <laughs> maximum effective range has been met. Right? Um, how the the organization is moving and how it's changing and and the way it's adapting to um, society and culture changes in America. Right? Um, and that's the one great thing about the army is the army evolves with because it has to envelop the culture in the society of america so um so that's been kind of cool but it gets to that point where you know uh i'm getting a little old and a little salty so my ability to adapt is weakening Um, okay but how is it adapting i'm interested in that as much as you can say but you're retiring remember yeah like um (laughs) so i I grew up in the midwest uh i grew up uh in the family of a of a conservative christian home right um so culturally i had to learn a lot um, because immediately I was thrown into um, a world of of diversity that I had never known. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as as society has changed over the t- last 20 years, um, I've had to adjust to that. You know, the, the yeah. folks that are coming in now are very different than the folks that came in when I did or, you know, even 10 years uh, ago. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a very uh, the mindset is different and how 
how these young men and women grow up and how they're, you know, they're conditioned. You still get the onesies and twosies, like, you know, the farm kids that from, uh, from Iowa that just want to go freaking, you know, do cool patriotic shit, you know? And, and, but, but for, <laughs> yeah. for the, the most part, you see the, the cultural shift, you know, um, the, the repeal of, you know, I was in for the repeal of don't ask, don't tell, um, mm-hmm. and that, which they made a really big deal about that. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared. Like, oh, in the military. Yeah. Like we're all like, yeah. yeah okay. Like they're these big massive briefings with like lawyers and shit present. We're like, we don't care. Can we go back to work? Like this is your wasting yeah. our time. Nobody. Cares. As in like, you didn't care if people were gay anyway. No. I mean, cause they, yeah. they had been there. They had been there the entire time. The only thing yeah. is yeah. they could now talk about it and, and it was fine, you know? Um, so, so culturally you, you've got to adapt. Um, you have to change. And, uh, a lot of the young guys that came in when I did, we were, you know, we were fire and forget. Our leaders would be like, go do this. And we would mm-hmm. go and do it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I was, I, I pushed back a little bit. Um, I would go do it. Um, but then I would come back and be like, why did we do that? You know, um, <laughs> yeah. you know it, it comply first and then, and then get the answers later. Um, now you almost have to tell them why ahead of time. Uh, and you almost have to sell them on it, you know? Uh, so there's, there's a lot more, uh, People aren't obedient enough for you anymore. Is that what it is? But they're smarter, right? And that's one of the advantages is that they're, you know, they're they're so much more intelligent, right? So they can see things and they they out of the box think that better than some of the leadership does. And some of the leadership gets stuck in that old school mentality, like, hey, go cut grass with scissors. Let's not do that anymore. You know, like um, Mm. that's dumb. Um, We have beautiful lawnmowers that can cut, you know, seven feet wide swaths at a time. You know, efficiency and stuff. So like. The, and I use that as a very broad example, you know, uh, but but it's changed. And uh, culturally, like the, the work ethic is a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How you motivate them to work hard is entirely different um, versus okay. like the, the old school folks. You take the time, you take their money, you can make them do whatever you want to do. Um, yeah. These ones, they don't really give a shit. Uh, they're just kind of whatever. You know, you've got to find you've got to get buy in from somewhere. Uh, from somewhere I just didn't even I could never consider the military like that like as I always in, thought about it as like you just have to do whatever you're told and there there yeah. is some truth to that um mm-hmm. but now and we have to be we're, we're a little bit more uh, I fucking hate the word gentle um but we have to be <laughs> a little bit more gentle um and we find that performance is better when people feel as though they are a part of the team and yeah. and we focus on on making that that team building stuff and and bringing oh, wow. that in. It's really more thing. like um, what do some of those <laughs> what do some of those exercises look like in terms of team building and kind of getting that buy in? Um, so there there aren't like structured. Uh, it it all goes by the individual leader. Um, yeah. and and it all goes by that. We still have leaders that just don't give a shit. They just want people to do stuff. Um, but for the leaders who who want to get that and realize that there's value there um it looks like uh saturday evening barbecues at the house um bring bring those people in and let them see that you are a human let them take off the uniform and and introduce them to who you are as you know for me it's it's i'm not sergeant mcglynn anymore i'm ian you know the this is this is what ian looks like this is ian are you a sergeant is that is that what your rank is i'm a sergeant first class I don't know what that means. Me neither. Is it very good? No, I, uh, no. Um, so there's, a, I'm an E7. There's a total of E, like it goes up to E9. So okay, I'm a considered a senior non-commissioned officer. How do you feel about, because I always I think this is really interesting in America, and I don't know if we've talked about this before. We might have, but we might have had a lot of whiskey before we did. 
Um, for me, the thing that I find really interesting is how thank you for your service is such a reflex here, particularly like anywhere outside of like New York City. And like, I never say it because like, well, I mean, I am not American. I mean, we're very heavy, heavily allied, but like, that's not how we treat ex-military in Australia at all. Like the fanfare around being like an ex-military or being in the military around like the immediate reaction of, well, thank you for your service. The like preferential treatment for like absolutely everything. Like, how does that, um, how does that make you feel? Like, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about, we didn't just say thank you for your service. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm glad you didn't because I'm probably in the minority that absolutely hates it. Um, okay. <laughs> It would make me very uncomfortable, personally. I, I tend to be a little shy and, and mildly introverted from time to time. Um, and it, it has become a, uh, like in the South, right? Like, you know, bless your heart or like, you know, I'll pray for you or something like that. You know, like yeah. um, it's become one of those where mm. it's just it's just a reflex, right? And um, I can tell when it's sincere and when it's something they have to say or feel obligated to say and i don't want mm. if you, like if you're obligated to say it don't don't say it um right i can tell um you know the folks who who have that sincerity you know that are appreciative of the service you you can feel that and that's good um and i love it when they do share it um but you get oh quite often you get the oh thank you for your service from like um uh, you know, when you go out and you get the, the the discount at Lowe's or you get the, you know, the, your server at, at whatever restaurant, you know what I mean? And um, mm. uh, Verizon is over the top. I, I love Verizon, but man, I, oh, wait, can we say names on here? I don't... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. right. No um, one listens to this podcast. <laughs> 300 listeners. What are they going to do? Sue us for what? For using Verizon. For yeah. <laughs> talking name. about the brand. Yeah, Verizon's like, <laughs> oh, so honored to talk to an American hero like yourself. And da, 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 da. I was like, okay, slow down, guy. Like, let's relax. I, I just called because <laughs> I want you know, like, I, I need you to change this thing on my bill. Like, you know, <laughs> settle down. I don't need the fanfare, like, welcome home shit. But uh, um, I just need you to freaking change this shit. But uh, but like those types of things. It. I'm grateful that we have a country that that has a lot of people who are sincere, um, but the response is now becoming. Uh, more so of of a obligatory thing, and that drives me nuts. You know, because yeah, I would yeah. rather people just not say it if they don't mean it. Um, let's let's yeah. be sincere, uh, because I want you to 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 mean it. You know, and if you don't give a shit about us, that's okay. We're going to exist whether you do or not. So, well, uh, it's the biggest employer in the world. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It is. It's crazy to me. It 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 makes me think. Like, what are because you know you kind of hear about the economics of the military from the outside but there's a lot of like silence behind that a lot of folks who are kind of doing that day-to-day operation type stuff uh, buying and um the buying of equipment or the buying of services from um other agencies uh you don't really hear uh people who actually do it talk about it um is there a thing where you're not allowed to talk about that or is it just kind of a culture? Uh, so when it comes to acquisitions and, and contracting, um, there are very specific people that are allowed to do that. And I mean, like it's a whole job in the army. Like you have to go to a school to be, become a contract officer and Got it. Um, you cannot disclose the conditions of any contract because uh, you know, it's a publicly uh, sought after thing. So like they'll put a bid out and all these companies bid 
and you know whichever company wins gets the contract and they go from there so there's there is a lot of i don't want to say secrecy um but there's a lot of like proprietary protection and there's um a lot of uh, non-disclosure stuff that happens uh, just to keep everything level as far as like on the, the business side of the house so yeah. I, I i've not spent any time in acquisitions uh, i've dabbled a little bit um but I don't like it. So I, I try to stay away from that. As, as you just leave the jumping out of plane. Yeah, that's exactly. Like, that's your bread and I, I fill out the paperwork so I can buy parachutes for like people. I'm like, all right, cool. So buy, like, I don't care where they come from or where contract or whoever gets it, like just give me parachutes. And our, our contract <laughs> people go and they, they give me parachutes. So, uh, so yeah, it's it, it's one of those things. It's uh, there's, there's information that they don't disclose just because of the nature of, of the contract and you know what that company has agreed to do um and all that other stuff so uh and i believe after a certain amount of time it's all public information so you can go back and see um i don't know where i'll try to see if i can find it maybe shoot a, a link to lisa um if there's any interest um where you can go back and actually see like you know public record of contracts over time mm-hmm. um and so you can kind of see like where and how that all comes about yeah i also just want to give a shout out to your t-shirt which like was that something you found or did you make that? Oh, I found it. It says okay. It says freedom and whiskey. Yeah, it's so <laughs> pretty cool. perfect for this episode. <laughs> oh, you're drinking whiskey? It's brunch, baby. Damn, I it's should give myself baby. a whiskey. You guys are causing so much trouble over here. <laughs> I'm gonna get a whiskey in the ad break. It's brunch, baby. You know what time it is. <laughs> I have to fly to Chicago tonight. It's, I'm gonna be lit it's on the, the plane. We're the brunch divinians. <laughs> the brunch divinians. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> i'm putting that on oh, a shirt man yes brunch convenience oh our um our neighbor bought us a um uh did you see our doormat carl so our yeah, neighbor yeah. was like, like make it clap <laughs> but don't break your back but they they made a typo so our our neighbor upstairs got drunk and ordered us a doormat um because lungaway was like make it clap but don't break your back and chris is like that's excellent i'm putting that on a doormat and I'm going to buy it. And he did. But he had a typo because he was so drunk. So now we have a, uh, a typo doormat with this random thing Lungaway said one night drunk. It's great. It's you know great. what? <laughs> that's that's we, we all have those stories. We all have those moments. <laughs> it's a pretty good drunk purchase. Yeah. It's bought us a doormat. A doormat, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Ian, are, do you come from a military family or do you have friends that do come from a military family no i uh i was the first well both of my grandfathers were drafted back in the 50s um but then, that's a little different yeah right? yeah they didn't yeah. serve voluntarily so I, I was the first of my family to serve voluntarily mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i don't know why i assumed your family would be military and then when i met your brother he's like hell no <laughs> not for me <laughs> it's like not 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 <laughs> I, I always wonder what the culture is like with those types of families um, because you know, you, you kind of watch some movies and they make it, they make it out to be like this. Yeah. Like everyone in our family serves, we're like eighth generation, whatever, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I was wonder if that's like a true thing or, um, if that culture is actually very much different because those people have actually served and probably seen, you know, some things that weren't very like favorable, and probably thought like maybe their kids shouldn't join or whatever. I, I, it's just something that's kind of always been on my mind. Like I think about 
like I'm a lawyer and I don't know if I want my kids to be lawyers um, because, <laughs> you know, the entire process of becoming a lawyer is like daunting. And then on top of that, like being a lawyer is, you know, it could be shitty sometimes. Right? I always so like Carl every legal paper I get. <laughs> so like I always wonder, like, do people feel like that um, in the military or is it always this like honorable thing to have your kids join? Um, so that's very unique to the individual. I've known uh, a few folks who have, you know, they were fourth or fifth generation military. Um, you know, they've, you know, uh, they can track all the way back to world war one, their great, great, great grandfather or whatever, you know, and, and, um, but even talking with those folks and they're, they're not very many, um, but talking Mm. with them, it, it wasn't ever an obligation. You know, it wasn't ever something that you did because you had to do, um, they wanted to serve. They wanted mm. to be there. And, and so that, that was kind of cool. And, and the big thing with my son, you know, I mean, he grew up, uh, you know, literally his entire life was spent um, with us in the military. So he got to see um, everything that the recruiting videos don't show you, you know, um, right. he got to see and experience all of that and, and what life was like. And so for him to choose that on his own, and he honestly, he, he didn't tell us he was joining. So, oh wow! Yeah, it, no, wow. He, he he had he had mentioned it once, and we're like, well, if you want to, man, it's up to you. You know, it's an option. You know, uh, whatever you want to do, just we're here to support you. And um, and so I come home from work one day, and here's the recruiter sitting in my living room at my table with my son in there, and I'm like, oh shit! Like, okay, cool. Um, and it was kind of funny. Uh, the recruiter then turns to me, he's like, well, dad, you know, what do you think? Like he's talking to me. I'm like, stop talking to me. Like I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Like I'm not. You talk to that kid. Like he's making the decisions here. Like it's, you know. Yeah. Um. So he chose that on his own. Um. And cool. uh, you know, we supported that just as much as we would have supported any decision he would have made. And and then afterwards, we're like, all right, dude. So why? Like, what was what was your reasoning? And um, you know, he he kind of set up a a whole plan that he had read, like kind of spread out. And uh, he's a mechanic, so he's like, cool. I'm gonna go be a mechanic while I'm there. I'm gonna get this, this, and this. I'm gonna do this, this, and this. And then when I'm done after my first term. Um, you know, he's planning on doing a, a one and done kind of deal. Um, mm-hmm. he gets out, he opens up his own, his own body shop and he goes and, uh, does what he wants to do. So, um, wow. That's a lot of planning. I never yeah. lived my life like that. I how how old is your son? <laughs> uh, he turns 21 in September. Wow. He's planning a lot. Yeah. At, I mean, <laughs> at that age. Wow. Was I, when I was 21, <laughs> I was living in a beach town in Queensland and I was working at a Mexican restaurant and uh, I wore tiny shorts and uh, thongs, uh, flip-flops to work every day with a singlet <laughs> and uh, I drank tequila as part of my job. My boss would literally stop service so that we would all drink tequila. And then I, uh, when I wasn't doing that, I was on the beach. Yeah. That was, that's a pretty good, that's pretty good 21, I reckon. Yeah. Like, what is this? What is that? My 21 did not look anything like that at all. Yeah. (laughs) I might have been wearing a thong, but that was after I got drunk. But I mean, you know, in Australia, we call flip flops thongs, right? Okay. I just want to clarify that for everybody. Oh, oh, I'm thinking like an actual thong. No, no, no. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember what my underwear choices were back then. But uh, no, no, no. In Australia, we call flip flops thongs. And then I started to say it, and then I realized I was with Americans. I've been with my Australian friends the last few days. I'm I'm falling back into a uh, yeah. You into see, in America, Australian when you English. say thong, you have to think of Cisco. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I, 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 I know him well. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Such a good, such a good track. 
Yeah. What were you up to at 21, Ian? Uh, so I joined when I was 20 as well. Um, ah. I had uh, I had two kids at the time. Um, Jesus. Yeah, I, I got I got married in uh, in high school. Um, wow. What the fuck? Yeah. That's so wild. The planning is in the genes, I think. <laughs> Y'all are just growing up early I mean, over there. I mean, I guess if you're from Michigan, it makes sense, right? That's not so <laughs> uncommon. Yeah, it's super cold. There's nothing else to do. You might as well, you know, just, you know, whatever. Uh, procreate and, and then get married. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, procreate, then get married or get married, then procreate. I feel like does the order, order does matter? Does the order matter? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does it? it well, so the funniest thing, like our daughter, our oldest, Mackenzie, right? Uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago. I think she's, it was like her 18th or 19th birthday and, and is where she actually like did the math. And she's like, wait a second. <laughs> why is my birthday before your anniversary? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mind your business, kid. You're fine. Just <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah, no. oh, so you grew up in a good Christian household, I see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a pastor's kid, so uh, I think uh, I was predestined to be... Son of a be, preacher man! Yeah, uh, a little predestined to be mildly rebellious uh, <laughs> and everything. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm learning so much about you. I feel like I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about the actual history that our... Um, research assistant took time to do yes um, <laughs> that i'm gonna read now like i know what i'm talking about um <laughs> my question is what are you gonna do now aside from be like a podcaster which you're already doing uh so i i want to wrap up my master's so right the the first uh you know few years is really going to be focused on education and and finishing up uh getting my master's in in history well I, my master's actually kind of be in a hospitality realm um with my my bachelor's being in history uh, with the hopes to become a, a corporate historian for uh, and run the the hospitality department of a of a big distillery at some point in time down that's the road. That's so cool! Wow, that's really and so tight. perfect, especially with your bar back there. Yeah, so good. So uh, in the meantime, um, actually, I gotta I gotta work. I gotta have some some income coming from somewhere. So I have uh, a couple of different uh, leads out right now, which I don't want to mention because I'm not like secured in any of them yet. Uh, and so uh, so yeah, so I'll I'll have to do some. Uh, some some work work uh in the civilian realm which is going to be odd for me uh and that's been like one of the big interview questions has been like okay are you ready to like not yell at people and like yeah you might have to be gentle yeah it might be yeah, hard for you yeah. I, I haven't <laughs> yelled at anybody in a few years so I'm, I'm i'm pretty okay i think i think i'll be all right oh great yeah so yeah you're getting there you're moving along with the times yeah yeah <laughs> i'm a great hugger i you know what i mean like oh, let's let's do this you know i don't know if you're allowed to do that either though oh shit know, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> the times are changing dude i don't know if you're allowed to touch people <laughs> I don't know. I don't work in an ordinary environment. I work with like one guy who is a year older than me and my friend. So we like have beer at lunch and, and like go. Yeah, we're just mates. Like I don't know what it's like to work in a proper work environment anymore. It's been a while. Uh, well, that'll that'll make two of us. So uh, yeah, cool. If, if I figure, we're coming in different sides. Yeah, if yeah. I figure it out, I'll let you know. So yeah, please. Yeah. We'll keep in touch. We'll talk it about is. it. It is. You guys are gonna exchange notes and yeah. stuff. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back after a quick break. Cool. All right, and we're back. And we're and back. And cheers. We are now with whiskey. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to the camera. Mm. Y'all are both terrible influences on me. 
Look, well, once you see a freedom and whiskey shirt, <laughs> you have awesome. absolutely no other choice. It's like a punch buggy. <laughs> oh my god, I know that. <laughs> it was, it was punch buggy for so yeah. long. Yeah, was, What's was, the story behind it? It was intentional. I, I I just saw it and I was like, yes. Was it a Facebook ad? Because that's on point. I think it may have been. You know when they get really specific <laughs> yeah. fucking Facebook ads? They're like, we got you. We've got you with this one. Yeah. So that's like, I have a ton of whiskey shirts that like, because that's what I, I wear for the, when we do the tavern with my brother, you know, it's uh, it's a whiskey shirt and a, a ball cap of, of some form or function. Uh, so, so I had to get a bunch of uh, different ones and. Uh, you had to. I had, I had, had to. to. <laughs> yeah. And then I start wearing them outside of the show and I just wear them all the time. So yes. Yeah, it's just, it's his brand now. Yep. It's a strong brand. I have a, I have a it's a great brand. Hold my beer, George Washington, you know, like, like you gave that quote or something, you know, that's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> we have, um, I think one of our former prime ministers, uh, had the record for drinking the most beers on a flight. Oh. Um, and then there's like countless photos of prime ministers, like sculling, like beers in these big, like, yeah, we, we fuck. I love Australia. Sometimes. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the history of this and feel free to interject by the review. Cause I'm going to be leading this, but I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. So we're not really talking about the military as much as we're talking about the military industrial complex and that in America. So this is a term that was first coined by Eisenhower in his farewell address on January 17th, 1961. And it was a warning that the United States must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military industrial complex, uh, which includes like uh, Congress people from military dependent regions, um, Department of Defense, private military contractors, etc. Um, he saw it unchecked as a possible threat to democracy. And the quote, another quote we have from him here is, we must learn how to compose differences, not with arms, but with intellect and decent purpose. So, I mean, I think the fact that the first time this term was used was as a warning is very interesting especially now that i would say we do have a military industrial complex in this country for sure it in college there was this book assigned <clears throat> to us um that kind of like talked about the subject well it was just called the wise men but it was about these six guys who um it was written by walter isaacson but it was about these six guys who basically like held so much power in government that they were the ones who like actually accelerated this whole military industrial complex. And I think one of them was like Alan Dulles. Did you read this book? It, Ian? Uh, no, but I'm familiar with it. You know, Dulles came out of the, the CIA. Oh yeah. Uh, Dulles so came he was, out of he CIA. was intertwined with all of that. And one of the interesting mm -hmm. things with Eisenhower is Eisenhower was around during Operation Paperclip. So, uh, and if you're not familiar, that's where we hired a whole bunch of Nazis uh, to bring them back to catch us up to uh, the German uh, military science, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because Germany was years and years ahead of us in the science. Wow. Program. So, you know, folks like Warner von Braun, who ended up running NASA and, uh, I mean, built NASA basically, and, and then a whole great li big list of them. Uh, uh, and these these weren't just like, you know, Nazi sympathizers. These were hardcore, freaking bad dudes um, that we brought over. We made citizens. We and we paid them to like do stuff for the military force. So, um, and in another part of Eisenhower's farewell address, he actually addresses uh, von Braun. I mean, he doesn't say his name, but um, he talks about guarding, you know, uh, something about American principles against you know, you know the science or whatever because that mm. was that was the guys you know we need science we need the science to to do this thing and uh and and it was it, that that whole era and eisenhower was there for the whole thing 
he he watched the <laughs> whole thing. It was uh, I think it was Roosevelt that actually signed the order, but you know Eisenhower was in Europe, uh, and and got to watch all of this come down and watch these dudes that he literally was fighting the day before now get put on a plane and flown to the states um, to be you know exploited for their their smarts and whatever. And these dudes needed to die. Now they did not need to come yeah. and be paid by the government to to make stuff. When these guys would get found out, um, they wouldn't send them to jail, right? They would put them on a plane and like just get them out of the country, like grab your shit and go. Um, uh, South America became yeah. a, a hotbed Argentina, for, right? for fleeing Nazis. And a lot yeah. of those dudes, they came from the States because somebody did something somewhere and wrote an article saying, uh, this guy was a Nazi, right? Uh, and, and the government came out like, oh, he wasn't, he was just kind of a Nazi. He wasn't like a really bad <laughs> These reporters are like, oh shit, like we got pictures. <laughs> Look at this dude. Like he's wearing all of the things. Like he's a bad guy. Like, um, I mean, I also find it really funny, not like haha funny, but just like interesting, I guess that all, it's kind of ironic, I guess that all of these guys ended up in like majority people of color countries. Like they're living in South America where like no one is feeding their Nazi ideology, yeah. and like that's where they had to flee. It's yeah. like, and also six foot tall Bavarian men in South America. They, I mean, you don't sticking out like a sore thumb, like sticking out like a sore thumb. It's very, it's very random to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, the military-industrial complex obviously predates Eisenhower, as we just discussed. Um, but what changed, sort of like at the turn of the, well, at the beginning of the 20th century, is that weapons production shifted from publicly owned companies to privately owned companies, which has been a big like shift in the way we deal with military. So that what that means is that like there are a lot of private companies paying like thousands of lobbyists to keep the status quo and keep gouging prices and um, and competition and like creating this need for weapons so these private companies can make money, which is like so fucking American. And Welcome also, home. Yeah, exactly. Because like, like so a lot classic. of these companies are, you know, not only they're privately not only the private companies, but they're publicly traded private companies. So actually them getting these contracts with, you know, the U.S. government actually like moves the Dow Jones industrial average. So if you're a person who's like saving for retirement, you're going to buy stock in Raytheon. You're going to buy stock in Lockheed Martin. And you're going to hope that they get more contracts with the federal government because it's going to boost your retirement savings. Right. So it's a way to get everyone kind of complicit into the system. And essentially, it's like, yeah, work, give them more contracts, because like, if they get more contracts, I get more retirement money, right? And so you don't even have to be the person doing the contracting. You're just benefiting off of the fact that this, like, this economic system exists. Mm. Um, so it, it, it it's very just hard gets, to be an ethical person these days. It it, it is because yeah. you know we're we're all like no matter what in a very doing. weird way yeah. we're all complicit. Like like for example, I try my best to not invest in prisons, right? Um, because I find that you know during the war on drugs there was a lot of policy that like basically helped private prisons make money and they like lobby judges and things like that to get more beds and more people in those beds to get the government to pay them right but the other thing is that you know um there are banks that have contracts with states right and essentially what they do is they handle bank like they handle state funds 
Um, so, for example, let's say you have a state agency like uh, the 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 state tax agency, right? Every state has a tax agency, and they collect sales tax, right? So when you and I go and buy a bottle of whiskey, we'll pay a tax on top of that. A bank will hold that money on behalf of the state, right? But what they'll what that same bank can do is lend money to a company that wants to open a prison. So your sales tax money has become loan money for a prison to open up somewhere. So like you're com- even though you're like trying, Just trying not to, to buy be a bottle of fucking whiskey to get through our days, you know, <laughs> still evil somehow. It's it, we're all complicit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, it's fucking awful. Um, okay, so I guess a bit of a timeline on the thing. So in the years after World War II, national defense spending as a percentage of GDP ranged from a high of 15% in 1952, so that's during the Korean War, to a low of 3.7% in 2000. I I don't know if you want to break that down. I don't yeah, so like essentially, so, so GDP, gross domestic product, is like how... How we measure a com- a country's performance, which is like fucking, it's a ridiculous measurement. Yeah, so like we we use that to say, hey, like this year the country did really well because we had more people buy and sell things to each other, so the economy is doing great. The economy is great, and the economy. But like fifteen percent of that, <laughs> but like fifteen percent of that activity was like military. Mm-hmm. Like buying things, buying weapons and stuff like that. And and when you have like when you when you get to just bake it in every year, right? When you get to say, All right, well, we're gonna bake in a certain amount just for military spending, right? Like if you're a person, like if you're uh if you're the president of the United States and you're in your first term and you're gonna run, right? Um, and one of the things that people care about right now is the economy. You're like, word, like, how do I, how do I fucking cheat real quick? Let's just boost, let's just boost the military <laughs> spending so we can say GDP went up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the government spent like in 2016, $604 billion on national defense. Yeah. Which is 15% still of the total spending of about $3.95 trillion, mm. which is wild but compare that then to the two-year budget deal passed by congress and signed by trump in february 2018 which approved 716 billion dollars for defense spending in 2019 so it's just going up and up and up so one like weapons are becoming more accurate Mm -hmm. they're becoming better there's like more r&d for a lot of these weapons too and also there's just there's just more conflict right um like there's just more like joe biden just there was 800 million dollars worth of military spending just for ukraine in like the last like two weeks or so but also like that's so that's such a remnant of the cold war like not to say that like what russia is doing is correct but like the idea that america is like has to be involved in every war discuss yeah yeah yeah. why do y'all have to be involved in every fucking war tell me about it It, it's the old adage of peace through strength but i want to hear ian's thoughts being that he's like closer (laughs) he's like closer to everything Um, than we are i can't say everybody but a lot of folks in my organization held their breath the day that putin went in um Mm. because we didn't know uh because the moment we moved it's world war three 
and so it was one of those deals where everybody's just kind of like, uh, what do we do? Um, and and I, I'm I'm with Lisa. Like this isn't our fight. Atrocities are atrocities, right? Um, and yeah. at, but at some point in time, we have to look at like the grand scheme of things. Um, and and I'm not some big like political science major or anything like that. So uh, so don't at me about any of this. Um, it's just personal thoughts and feelings. Um, there's a whole lot of countries with a whole lot of military power in the vicinity of that place. Right. Mm. So if anybody mm. has a vested interest in the stability of the area, those countries need to do their part. And they well, they were like, trying to join NATO, right? So like, where's NATO? Uh, I don't know. Is NATO being involved? Well, NATO's like, yeah. NATO's the moment NATO goes in, we're going and it's, it's go time. Mm. Cause we're like NATO. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're pretty That's big. such an American thing to that. say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're the glue. It, so there's a lot of folks who who feel like, hey, this isn't this isn't our fight, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, whether we send them guns and bullets and food and stuff to to keep their folks fighting, um, I, I've got no beef with that. But uh, but to commit us to that engagement, uh, it, it's not that's not our business. Mm. It's not our business, um, mm. you know. And it's not like he's going in on some tiny little country of 200 people, you know, and Ukraine, you know, is supposed to be over in a week. Uh, we're on what week eight or nine. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, Ukraine's they're, they're getting their butt kicked, but they're holding their own. Uh, yeah. they're, they're not doing too, too bad. So, and it's just one of those deals, right? I don't feel it's, it's not our fight. We're not the global police force. A lot of folks in my, my circles are tired. Mm-hmm. We've, because as long as we've been in, we've been fighting. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and to watch the, the collapse of Afghanistan and watch it go back to the Taliban really kind of just took the wind out of a lot of our sails. Um, yeah, I can imagine. And, and so, so when things like this come up, you know, we're just like, like, no, no, just stop. Just let it be. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if it gets to the point where it's a threat to us, you know, mm. and, and a fight against our friends doesn't necessarily equate to a fight against us. Well, that's an interesting thing because um, I, I had, and I don't know, again, we may have discussed this at one point, but I'm probably not with Carl. I had a situation in Australia. There was a guy from here over in Australia when I was living there who was, uh, he worked for like the Asia, the American Asia Society something, something. I don't know. He basically represent like he kind of spoke about like America's relationship with Asia and he was over doing a talk. And it was kind of around the time of the South China Sea stuff. And um, Australia, as you would know, Ian, has followed America into every fucking war. And the South China Sea stuff is really like an American. It's a it's a thing that America has a problem with. Right. Like he's talking about the South China Sea and like how like America's like whatever annoyed about it. I can't even really remember what it's all about now. It's been years since I this. it's obviously been at least five years since I met this guy. But I was like, cool, if it's a problem that you have, like you have so many bases in Australia and shit. I'm like, then you guys handle it. He's like, oh, no, no, it's Australia's job. And I'm like, dude, we followed you into every fucking war. Like, what war? <laughs> like, you're asking our tiny little country to deal with your shit. Yeah. Like, we followed you into every war for what? Like, the relationship we have with the American military is, like, so interesting. Like, we literally, like, all our military activity is with America. Like, we don't, no one's fighting Australia. Right. <laughs> I mean, we we are we are aligned. I think because we do have like we are in the midst of Asia, and having that like big power is within our interest in a way. But Australia sits in this really weird. Like, if, if America and China go to war, Australia going to be really fucked. Like, basically, because we are literally equidependent on both of these huge countries. Yeah. Um, so it's always really interesting to me. Like, yeah. So like, what would happen if something was happening to Australia? Like. 
do you think the American military would step in as such close allies, you know? Because, like, that to me is, like, anyway, I just think it's interesting. I, I would just be interested to see. Like, I don't want it to happen. But I would be interested to see what would happen if something happened, you know? Uh, high interest, high dollars, you know, that, mm. that that's kind of where that goes. You know, you look at the Middle East, right? Mm. Um, uh, and Afghanistan was a, was a weird one um, because what was there? Um, and at the end of the yeah. day, I mean, this is all conspiracy theory shit, but um, drugs, drugs were there. Mm, there was a lot yeah. of drugs. A lot of a folks lot were of talking opium. about heroin, right? Her- opium. opium yeah. yeah. So, so wow. you, you kind of wonder where that is. And um, that, that's not for me to get into. But, you know, you look at the Middle East, the Middle East has got the oil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though not really. Like, there's a, a lot of oil other places that give us, you know, that supply our oil. But that was the big thing with, you know with Iraq. So, so is, is there a financial interest? Is there, you know, um, and we like to rattle the sabers and thump our chests and wave our flags and be like, yeah, America, let's go. Um, and, but in reality, like, I didn't know a goddamn soul there. Like, why am I getting shot at for these people? Like these people, like the guns start going off and they run and hide. Like, why do I have to fight the bad guys? Like, come here, fight these bad guys. Like, this is your yard, dude. You know? Um, uh, and, and so, it's so like the, the stability in the region. Well, why do we need the region to be stable? Because we're dependent on its oil. Mm. So yeah. I, and, and looking at Ukraine, if Ukraine had some sort of big something that we were invested in and it was being threatened, I think we'd already be there. Um, yeah. But I don't think I don't think that's the case. And I don't think that we, mm. you know, uh, it, it's not engaging. And a lot of us are, are saying the same thing. Like, hey, look, this is, we've, we've fought a bunch of other shit for other people. So let's not do that again. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of it in the 90s or like pre pre the end of the Cold War was about the spread of communism, right? And like right. it really fucked up a lot of countries. Like that's how the FARC in Colombia came to be. Like basically they were like a legitimate political party that America was didn't want to take control because they were like communist. And so they started up this whole fucking paramilitary group to like oppose them and like whatever. And then it ended up being like the longest running terrorist organization in like history because like of this interference. So like that happened a lot before. So like, I think again, like if we're in the Cold War, that America would be there too. But like, there is a little bit of remnants of that, which I think is why America's taking an interest. Sure. Yeah. And, and essentially they're like, you know what? Like instead of fighting a, a hot war, they're like, all right, cool. Let's just run a proxy war. Let's just fund them and see how they can do. Well, at least then... you're only funding one side this time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause me... <laughs> Ian gave us great face then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, America. It's very expensive, though, war. Uh, The war in Afghanistan has cost $2.3 trillion, which is basically $300 million a day for 20 years. Look, every time I hear that, it it fucking drives me nuts because, like, people are like, oh, yeah, you can't cancel student debt. It'll cost too much. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, all right, cool. But we could send our friends over to Afghanistan and like keep them there for twenty years and pay three hundred million dollars a day. Three hundred million a day. Yeah, according to the Intercept, to your point about stocks and whatnot, the price of shares of the top five defense contractors has increased between three and twelve times, and the defense stocks outperformed the stock market overall by fifty eight percent during the Afghanistan war. There's Crazy. there's money in war. And that, that was something that we saw like there's mm-hmm. uh, in, in contracting. So a lot of a lot of buddies were getting out of out of the service uh, after being really tired. You know, they were deployed and they were tired. They're like, I'm done. I'm out. Cool. They came right back. Mm-hmm. But they came back as civilian contractors making twice what we were making 
um, and doing a lot of the same jobs that we were doing. Uh, That's always oh, the way with government yeah. shit. Like you can you can work for the government in like a job, and then they will hire consultants to do the same job for like four times the price. Governments are fucking dumbasses. So is so like how how much of because I know that there are like these legal kind of uh, these legal gray areas where. Okay, the United States doesn't want to be the one that does this particular military action. So what they'll do is they'll hire like a private security firm to kind of do that ad action themselves so that they could say, well, it wasn't us. It was this private party. Is that something that happens very, very often? Or is that like just like, oh, yeah, that happened a few times and people keep thinking that is a thing that's often happening? Um. I, I can't be real definitive on that. Um, I can tell you what I saw. Uh, I can tell you that there was a lot of different private security companies that were under contract. Um, and when those companies messed up, um, they were fired and removed from country. Um, mm. So, and what that did is that provided, you know, um, the opportunity for the government to come out or whoever hired them to come out and say, hey, uh, these guys were not acting in the best interest of the company or the country, so therefore we have removed them. They are no longer an issue. Like we've, wait, wait, wait. We've fixed the problem. Wait, wait, wait. Removed from which country? From... Uh, for us. Okay. For the U.S. But like, were they citizens? No. They were. They removed them from the country. From, they, from, like, when I say country, just... I'm talking about like uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. Okay, whatever. cool. I was confused. Yeah. I was like, are they stripping people of citizenship? Is that a thing? No, no, thing. no, 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 no. Uh, okay. And if it was bad enough, they would like send them back and they would prosecute them. But we never got any of the results from that stuff. So, um, so I, I don't know what the the prosecution rate for people who misbehaved in country was, but uh, they did misbehave, and there, you know, they were. It was easy to get rid of them, and a lot of times the companies would just change names. So mm. it would be the same company. It would be the same people. They were this company, that, and you know, we wouldn't see them for a while, and then all of a sudden they would come back, and they would be like, "Oh, hey, you know." Uh, we would say their company name is back, and they're like, "No, no, no, that that company doesn't exist anymore. We're uh, we're we're with uh, you know the the whiskey company, you know, like uh, like you know, right? you know, what? Like some, some other name would be like, what the fuck? And be like, it's literally the same dudes. Like it's the entire same team. You're like, so yo, what? Like corporate oh my god, yeah." Maybe Yo. try something else, my guys. Yeah. Maybe this isn't working for you. They're not even changing the people. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, that's insanity. Would they get rehired or no? So I, I can't answer all that because I don't. I don't know. Um, all okay. I know is that the same dudes would show back up after a break after something yeah. happened, and they would be under a different company name. So, wow. so how that all broke down uh, on the contract level or whatnot, I I couldn't tell you. But uh, that's wild. But there was there was definitely some some name changes and, and some of that shit that was going on that was that was pretty bizarre. Um, and it was it was always following an, an incident. You know, something didn't go the way it was supposed to. Um, we saw that a lot with the the convoy security companies because those guys they would hire local folks, like yeah. like local nationals, and oh. give them guns and throw them in the back and be like, all right, protect these trucks. Well. They, they they go good god like under with what kind of training you know and so yeah and- i was just about to ask that like because because that was one issue that you would hear a lot like especially in afghanistan it's like a like we're training these guys but they suck or these guys have absolutely no training um we're gonna have to spend so many years training them xyz so they could get good to protect the country and you're saying that private companies were coming in saying word let's just hire some guys locally 
it's and like have them carry guns and like it's almost as if private companies should not be in charge of any of this shit. It, yeah, like right. because <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just it's just sloppy overall. Yes. You would you would expect you know what I mean? You would expect private companies to be a bit more efficient. At least that's traditionally the like conservative argument I that mean, oh we should leave things to private we can enterprise. Talk about that. Yeah, y'all are not efficient. Like, my government bureaucracy is more efficient than your private company. Yeah, it's like, like if super I'm talking weird. about Australian bureaucracy. And it always wilds me because you hear this, like, private companies, if they're in charge of it, everything's going to be more efficient and mainstream and all of this stuff. And the fuck it is. This is, like, it is slow, slow, slow to do everything here. It yeah. takes me... The other day, I was doing some uh, visa stuff, and I did something that would have taken me literally five to ten minutes in Australia at two different places... It took me an hour here. Mm. It took me 30 minutes to pick up my fucking paperwork for my physical, which should have taken like five minutes. Not even. I should have been able to walk in and grab it. Like it should have just been waiting there for me. Like it's been like three, three, four weeks since I had my physical. They're like, you have to just pick it up. 30 minutes. 30 minutes for what? It's just like such an inefficient country. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the military is better than that, but like definitely like my <laughs> everything is so inefficient here. <laughs> Yo, Ian with the biggest head shake I've ever seen. <laughs> and speaking of inefficiency, given recent activities in uh, New York City, uh, let's talk a little bit about private companies and uh, all of that and their influence on the uh, police budget. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Ian, on the militarization of police because the New York City like police force... Um, has about $6 billion of budgeting or something. Like, it's it's grown by about 30% in the last 10 years. And, like, those guys couldn't even catch a guy who turned himself in. Um, what do you feel of it for real? <laughs> like, dude turned himself in. Yeah, I heard you guys were looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Get out of here. We're busy. <laughs> the thing that wilded me is because I was reading like accounts of what was happening and there were so many um civilians who were administering first aid and police who were doing nothing and like for me I'm like why are police not administering first aid it just feels like something that they should be doing over a civilian you know like I, I mean I personally like I I am trained in first aid I I want to know that I can at least do my best to help somebody if I'm in a situation I mean in New York it's not so much of an issue I feel like within a block there's going to be like 10 people vastly more qualified than me to deal with an emergency situation but it's just a good thing to have right um but like that wilded me so like what do you think about the military militarization of the police uh so i i think there's certain uh communities that might need it Um, okay elaborate so your big your massive urban centers um, places like New York City, like LA, you know, I'm not saying to give them Abrams, right? There's no reason to have artillery, right, on the police force, but um, yeah, they do. <laughs> an, an up-armored vehicle, uh, you know, you you need to get through a crowd of people, um, and, and you know, even if it's just an egress, right? Um, a normal police car is going to get stopped, and it's going to get broken into, and it's going to, and, and it can be bad. So, um, for for areas of of highly dense populations, I can see the need for it. Um, mm-hmm. I wish there wasn't one, right? And uh, with all of the the political unrest and and all of the racial tension that that has been like overflowing the last few years in this country, um, I mean it's been overflowing for a very long time, but it it kind of culminated um, 
after the the George Floyd incident, and uh, and and it got bad. And um, so, what do, what's the solution, right? Um, you have a massive crowd of people who are destroying an area. Um, dudes in blue uniforms with the bulletproof vest and a stick aren't going to do anything because they're outnumbered mm. ten to one. So there's got to be. You were there, so I'm interested to hear how you how the police behaved in that moment. But sorry, continue. Yeah, well, and again, there's that thing where like, yeah, like it, the the police are the bad guys, right? So it's like mm. it, super messy, uh, super messy. But in those instances, those areas, and and I'm not saying every area. There's no reason for um, Colorado Springs to have tanks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Bullshit. Like that. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um. So, but in your your large urban areas. Um, and then I think DC would be the other one just because of, uh, you know, all of the operations of government are there. So, yeah. so that police force should be beefier. Um, so when you look at things like January 6th, like how the fuck did that happen? Um, yeah. a bunch of dudes from freaking Kansas came in with sticks, oh, right. And took over the goddamn the house. house, you know, yeah. so like, <laughs> we're going to talk about January 6th. Cause I do want to talk about that, okay. but I am like, for me, like when I look at it, I'm like with $6 million, $6 billion budget. My thing that I think that like police need to be better trained at is like I think that they see everything like when you have a hammer everything you see is a nail like I think that what the fact that like it there's a big focus on like you know gun training and all this stuff like uh, I just think that that money should be invested in proper education of police and that should be a more intensive course and that like I can de-escalate a situation better than a police officer because I bartended like at after hours clubs when I was like you know, 18 to 21, mm -hmm. I can like, I can step in and stop a fight. I don't need a fucking gun. I don't need to be big. I don't need to be scary. Like people in hospitality are better at de-escalating situations than police officers are. And that just feels to me like, you know, yeah, the they've got the wrong training, but yeah, yeah. What was your experience like with the police in, in the Black oh, Lives Matter? Yeah. Protest? During, um, during a George Floyd protest, like it, I, I had, two different types of experiences with police so like there were times when um i would so like essentially what i did was um there was a lot going on during that time and i was like all right like clearly we're out here protesting because they just kneeled on a black guy's neck I'm not going to, like, do anything for that shit to happen to me. So, like, I'm going to kind of feel out the situation by, you know, reading the news. I'm going to be on Twitter all night. I'm going to be on different feeds that people are taping the streets and stuff like that. And I'm going to stay in contact with my friends. In New York City during that time, there was, like, a lot of stuff happening. There were people who were outside protesting. And then there were people who were outside looting. Right. And like people were looting like Chanel. People were looting like Kith, like just really super popular stores with expensive luxury items. They were looting that shit, looting Best Buy, getting iPhones. And I was like, all right, cool. So I know that if I'm going to go out and protest, like I got to be really smart about how I do this shit before I get wrapped up into because like now the police are just like everybody's looting mm. when really it's just a small number of people that mm. are looting right um but like i don't want them to think that i'm looting it's it's the same thing as you know the other day with the shooting because publicly there was a a, a um a, a description and it was like black man mm. this weight 
this height. And I was like, there's a lot of black men in New York City that look like that. So I'm not going to work. (laughs) 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 Like, you know, straight up. I'm not going, right? So, like, that's how I think of stuff. Like, when these huge events happen. And, like, a black male is involved. I'm just, like, not going outside. Or (laughs) if I am going to go outside, I'm going to be playing this, like, really cool position. So... Uh, what I did during the George Floyd protest was I said, I'm going to give everybody water. Mm. I'm going to buy like I, I started a water fund. And basically, I was like, anybody who wants to support can support. Here's my cash app. Boom. Hit me up. Um, so people funded it. I bought thousands of dollars worth of water. I would drive, pull up, open my trunk. And I was like, water for everybody who's protesting because you're out there 10 hours mm. protesting. You're thirsty. Right. So so I was doing that the entire time. Some places police were chilling. They were like, all right, cool. You know, this guy's just giving out water. No big deal. You know, but like the stuff I saw happen, I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. Like police would kick some people's ass. There was like one place on I'm on on Flatbush and Prospect on Flatbush and Prospect uh, near Burrito Bar. Uh, Lisa, you, you know, burrito bar, I'm assuming. No, it's on. All right. So there's, there's this place called burrito <laughs> bar like on, on Flatbush Avenue and, uh, prospect. What is it? Prospect I know what place? you're talking about. Oh, prospect yeah. Avenue, but nonetheless, um, cops were there and, uh, they were in their car in a, in a SUV squad car and, uh, people kind of were walking, but walking around it. But obviously, some people were like slapping the hood as they were walking by it. I guess he kind of maybe startled the cops. I'm not sure. But all I know, they decided to like run over people. And I was like, oh, shit, that's crazy. Mm. I was like, that's crazy. You, you, you should not do that. You shouldn't be running over citizens. You know what I mean? But like there were other instances where I was there and it was pretty chill. Like mm. cops were there. They were like, please just don't go crazy. We know you're here protesting. We get it. Whatever. Um, then there were other situations where I felt like the police were very performative. Like like they were like kneeling and like begging kind of like on some like I'm sorry shit. And I was just like, I know you're not sorry. Like. <laughs> I know you're not sorry, dude, but you really just want us to go home and you're doing everything you can to get us to go home. Mm. You know, so so I, I kind of got the wide range of experience. Um, so like anytime somebody tells me like it's just one thing that happened and like kind of tries to tell one side of the story, I'm just like, nah, there's like there's arguably like three to four sides to this. Right. And. And it's not to pick one side or the other, because obviously, like, I've had so many bad experiences with the police, a la the police mm. episode. Yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, like, it just, I, I just never want to be the person that's just like, the police are bad and that's it. It's like, nah, like. Your dad was a cop. So my like, dad was also a cop, like, too. Yeah, you but, my, but my dad does not fuck with cops, even <laughs> though he was a cop. <laughs> he's just like, yo, that. He's like the whole entire institution of police is bad, mm. um, and the only like the only thing they should be doing is protecting and serving. Instead, they're doing all these other things that they shouldn't be doing. And if you're a black man and you work 
as a police officer, your life is always in danger mm. because they will put your life ahead of a white person's life who is in the police as well, mm. which is a whole nother like discussion. Is the training in the police and the training in the military very, very, very different? Do you know, Ian? Um, so there's a lot of training sustainment in the military. Um, so we, we train continually, we train often, we train regularly. So, mm. um, and, and I think that's the, the big difference is, you know, they're, they're training and I, I can't, I can't speak for police specifically. Um, I know they have to go shoot. So they're proficient with their weapon systems. I know they have to, you know, there's, there's other stuff, but I don't believe it's as, uh, intense or as sustained as like the armies is. Mm. Um, to where we have to, you know, we've got to go shoot so many times a year. We've got to go do um, these other qualification stuff so many times a year, and and you know, it's kind of, it's kind of our job, right? So there's, mm. so so I th I think there's a bit of a difference. Um, there is, you know, training that they do on a regular basis. I just don't know if it's at the same uh, amount or frequency. Uh, that the well, it seems like a lot of the training they do is uh, aimed around like shooting and whatnot, as opposed to like I don't know, just I don't know. I I just think. My, I find the whole institution, like, it just needs a complete overhaul from yeah. what it's, like, incentives but, seem to be in the way that people are, you know. Well, and, but like, it kind of makes sense a bit, right? Because, like, I would assume that in the military, you would need more shooting training being mm -hmm. that, um, you know, your... Uh, 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 if you're going to engage, there's a high probability that it's combat, right? Mm -hmm. um, versus if you're a police officer, if you're going to engage, the probability of combat is probably significantly lower. Specifically in New York being that there's like, you know, gun control laws and, you know, the, just the gun culture in New York is a lot different than a lot of places. Like people aren't carrying, they, they, we don't, we're not an open carry state. We're not a concealed carry state. We're probably a no carry state, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> the idea that people could have guns at any point has completely changed the way I interact with the world. Yeah. Like I'm pretty like, you know, I don't take shit from people. And like, I literally have a moment every time I interact with someone where it's like if I'm gonna like snap back or like tell someone to fuck off, like I literally have a pause here where I'm like, they could have a fucking gun. I have no idea. Like in Australia, it's never a thought. But here I'm like, fuck. I don't know, Ian, do you carry a gun? I don't think I've ever asked you this. I, maybe we have spoken about it. Again, we have a lot of whiskey conversations. <laughs> it's also good for our listeners and for Carl, so. Uh, so I am a, uh, a licensed uh, concealed carry uh, member here in Massachusetts. Uh, I don't carry regularly. Um, and what would you carry a gun for? So, uh, if I'm going training and, uh, the training out is out in an area I am very unfamiliar with. Um, and I know that there's going to be a time when I'm by myself. And again, uh, this situation hasn't presented itself much in Massachusetts. Um, when I was down in Yuma, I was in the middle of the desert at night by myself. So I carried all the time, um, mm. down there because the, the borders right there, the drug trafficking, uh, it, volume in that area was insane so mm -hmm. um it's a very different scenario um so i i don't carry often but there are occasions every once in a while where i do um and uh and i'm not entirely comfortable when i do uh because it comes there's there's a lot of responsibility when you do and there's a lot of rules and there's you know um god forbid the only time i get pulled over is when i'm carrying so it's like you got to talk to the cops you know 
and there's very specific things like you're supposed to do, you know, you, you, uh, when you're pulled over and you're carrying, you let them know. And fortunately I've, I've been on the, you know, the side of those interactions where they're like, all right, cool. You keep yours where yours is. I'm going to keep mine where mine is. And we're going to be good to go. I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, you're also white. There's that, you know, there, there is that. Um, uh, so, so there's, it, I, I have no issue with, with guns. Um, as long as you're a responsible gun owner, like the, it, and training is a thing. If you do not yeah. have the time to do the training with, with a gun, you don't deserve to have one. You should not have one. If you're not going to the range once a month, to shoot your weapon. Mm. Um, then, then you shouldn't have one. Uh, and it's not like riding a bike, you know, it's not like you, you know, it, well, we it's have to a get fucking licenses to have a car. Like I've been driving for like, what fucking like shit, like over half my life. But because I don't have a driver's license in America and I've lived here for a certain amount of time, I can't, I can't drive here yet. I need to like go through the licensing process again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of libertarians would, would, you know, they, they're just like, no, we don't need licenses for anything. And it's like, guys, you guys are nuts. Oh, my dad, <laughs> my dad does a libertarian thing all the time. Yeah. And then like he comes to New York and he's like, so he came here and it was like, uh, it just been, um, a really bad snow, like snow sleep time. And like the thing about like, especially like my neighborhood, I don't know how it is in your neighborhood, but like people are pretty good at picking up after their dog and stuff. But like when it's snowing, people don't pick up shit. Right. Yeah. Literally like they're like, I'm not putting my hand in the snow. Yeah. And it like, it sucks, but it's what it is. So like, you know, my libertarian dad walking around being like, there's so much like shit on the sidewalk. I'm like, well, yeah, just snowed. Like people aren't like, being diligent about like picking up fucking shit. Um, but also like, it's like you're a libertarian when you think everyone's going to behave like you will, mm-hmm. but then you complain about there being trash and, and shit. And I'm like, but you want to be a libertarian. I'm like, yeah. this is people doing what they want. And this is how like society exists like that. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's cool in Australia. Cause we very, uh, raised to be very, um, like it's a very social policing thing. Like you do not litter yeah. and there's plenty of trash cans and stuff around, but you do not litter. You do not leave your, like, it's, it's like people will stop their car if they saw you litter and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's how our society operates. But like come into another place where like, that's not the same, like, you know, level of care. And then all of a sudden it's like these libertarians are like, I hate this. It's not comfortable for me. Yeah. Like, because yeah. libertarianism typically is great in theory. Yeah. In theory, in it's practice, great. But like, it's, it's relied when you yeah, live in New York with so many different types theory. of people and yeah. like ways of people behave, you're like, yeah, maybe we do need some laws. Okay, we're, we've been talking for a while. I feel like we should talk about January 6th. And then I feel like we should talk about the military as a cult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, January 6th. And like, and I mean, it's interesting to, you know, counteract it with, with the George Floyd protest movement. Yeah. Because I don't know, like, it just seemed like, wow, these people, you know, self, uh, self-proclaimed patriots. What was the feeling like in the military when this happened? very divided um oh. there were there were people who were they saw it very differently and so what i could yeah. use i could share my how i felt about it and then i'll yeah. and then what i could say is that they they did not share that opinion right okay um, so <laughs> if uh the people who breached the doorway of the capitol building yeah whether whether they were were crowd surged into the building they put themselves close enough to be crowd surged into the building if they breached mm-hmm. the doorway of the capitol they deserved to be charged with insurrection. Mm-hmm. They disrupted the operation of government, whether you liked what the government was doing at that time or not, right? The whole big lie validating the, the 
the election results and all that shit like that's irrelevant it doesn't fucking matter it was an operation of government that got disrupted that got halted because people busted into the capitol um and then people talk about ashley babbitt and, and her dying um she she knew what was happening like that gun was out for a minute um, yeah. They continued to break the glass, and she was the first one in the window. So, sorry, uh, you paid the ultimate price for making a really poor decision. Mm. Like, that dude had that gun out for a long time, and there's plenty of video angles to show that. Um, and yeah. so the gun's out, so the guy's going to use it. Yeah. Um, so so I don't, I don't feel bad for that. Like, you, know, she, you, you saw the gun. You made that calculated risk. You decided mm. to hop into that window. Your fault. You're dead. Um, mm. uh, and it, it sucks that it got to that point. Um, had they gone up to the grass, had they gotten to the steps, right? And the protest had stopped at the steps. No beef, right? Yeah. None whatsoever. Bunch of angry Rice people yeah. saying what they feel about the government. Cool. We're good. But they didn't. They surged up. They broke in. They went in and they, they did dumb shit. Like, man, stop taking selfies on the pulp. Get dude, get down. Yeah. Like, just fucking stop. Why are you here? What are you doing? Yeah. What's the point? Well, they have patriots, Ian. They're uh, patriots. <laughs> as someone who has studied terrorism as in-depth as you have, you know that there are extremists uh, on, on yeah. all sides. Yes, so I know. I, I would, know I I would say that they are extremists, not patriots. Um, the patriots 100%. stayed outside. and often They are self-identified patriots. Yeah. I think it's interesting to me because uh, the country, this country is founded on the idea of um, like uh, citizen military. And I think that's the idea that these people run with, right? Like That's the same thing like... Um, with all of the military groups that were formed after Waco with the big government thing. And like, it's, it's a really integral part of this country. So I can kind of see how people could run away with that idea. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's one of those things where I think to myself that, cause it was a, it was a very dis- divisive moment. Mm. I just, a, I left work and I went to the bar. I like, literally told my boss, I'm like, I can't. Focus. I'm gonna go drink. Like, I was like, glued <laughs> to I was glued to the TV. I was like, yo, this is not happening. Right. And and it, and it was so weird because it's like the people who said they were patriots were the people who were like acting in terrorism. Mm. Um and it just it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, because the whole thing about patriotism, it's you're supposed to uphold the law, right? And if someone is breaking the law, then that's a completely different situation. But like when you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, cool, I'm going to break the law. No one else broke the law except for me. I'm the patriot, though. It was super weird for me to experience. And, um, and now hearing that the response because because to me Ian, your response is essentially the same one that i have right it's okay cool a protest is fine you can protest in front of a place great you can do that in front of a government building fine but when you break into the government building it's a completely different situation it is no longer a protest right Mm -hmm. um but the fact that you said that there are people in the military who are who disagreed well you alluded to the fact yeah you alluded to the fact that, <laughs> that yeah, maybe yeah, some people yeah. didn't think it was that was that, as bad as, as that people did. may have disagreed is weird to me because i wouldn't think that people in the military would disagree with that thought i there think... were military members in the crowd yeah, uh, yeah and that was something else that came out um and and the army did a big sweep of like 
uh, extremism training after after January sixth happened. You know, we were oh wow, to sit down and uh, get briefed and and talk about you know uh, a, a bunch of stuff. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to share any of that or not, but retired. Uh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> by the time the episode comes out, you'll be retired. So was, and again, it was one of those briefs that was done. You know, with a. a a senior officer was giving the brief and then there was a lawyer present to answer legal questions. Um, and it was yeah. a lot of, uh, it was kind of like some tattletale shit, which mm. really for a history guy that's looked at world war II a little bit more in depth than some folks. Um, it had a lot of, uh, phrases that rhymed, uh, you know, telling on your neighbors kind mm. of shit, like mm. Nazi Germany may have done. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, like, Ooh, this is, like I was super uncomfortable with that whole thing. I'm like, this is not. We are we are encouraging people to tattle on other people. Like this is not, not. This cool. is not a thing. And and a lot yeah. of it is so subjective. Like I think mm. my yeah. I think my coworker is an extremist because he said this one thing this one time this one day. Oh no, wow, asshole! It doesn't work like that, you know. Um, yeah. So so th- but there was a, a big sweep in the military because there were military members um, that were there, and there was retired military members that were there that lost all of their their pension they lost all their benefits wow um because they got convicted of whatever and 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 the difference in opinion was the people who broke through and breached the capital my opinion is those are criminals mm-hmm. um and they deserve to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law um yeah. and and again it, it's the disruption of government the last time the the capital was breached was during the war of 1812 yeah. and that was by a uniformed foreign military yeah the only other time that that building has been freaking breached was yeah. a foreign military that came in and did it like and and that was there was a, a lot of the significance of that day got lost in the politics mm. and that that was that was the wrong answer you know the significance being that building has stood independently strong and by itself and not molested for lack of a better term um since <laughs> the war of 1812 mm. and now yeah. the second time it gets breached in its history it's by it's, us yeah by and that's citizens. bullshit Right. And it's yeah. not because it's not because the government was being tyrannical. Right. Yeah. I don't think we're I, I, you know, there's there's people that will argue that. Um, but I, I don't I don't feel as though it was they were being tyrannical. So um, I, I don't see why there was a surge. I think emotions just got out of control. Um, and uh, and how uh, the part that Trump played is another big place where I, I, I have a big disagreement. So the, the first disagreement is the people who breached the, the doorway are are criminals and deserve to be. Mm. And so there was a lot of people that disagree with that. And then I hold Trump responsible. Um, I don't think, and I, I listened to his whole speech. He didn't say we're going to storm and tear down the doors and stop the thing. Like he didn't, he didn't say that. Um, but he had the opportunity. And as a leader, he should have taken that opportunity to reinforce at that time with those people, those people were emotional and they mm. were hyped up and they wanted to hear their dude say something and he did and he fucked it up because all he had to come out and say is like listen we lose the initiative if you storm the building so i'm Mm. I'm gonna walk with you we're gonna walk over to the building we're gonna stay in the grass and we're gonna hang out there no he he totally (laughs) missed that opportunity and and as a leader that's a leadership failure yeah Yeah. i think trump had a lot of those and and so (laughs) you know but Potentially, yes. And, and specifically <laughs> to January 6th, he had an opportunity yeah. to calm yeah. those people down yeah, and say, listen, he's you know, never going to do that. That's not his MO. No, you're, you're right. His ego took mm. over as it mm. as it did many times um, mm-hmm. throughout his presidency. And and it's just 
it, it was very frustrating. Um, so I do, I, I hold him responsible, you know? Um, and, and that was the argument from, from folks I work with, you know, is yeah. he never said to da, 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 da. he didn't have to, No. but he didn't tell him to chill out. He didn't tell him to take no. a deep breath, go drink some yeah. water, go see Carl's yeah. car, grab some water, fucking calm down. <laughs> right. And then head over to the building. Right. And, and freaking whatever. And then you see, you know, a lot of these, these right-wing patriots, right. Who back the blue during the George Floyd stuff. Right. Um, yeah. are now beating the shit out of the cops themselves. Like, what the yeah. fuck yeah. are you doing? Like, what? Yeah. where is the, what message are you trying to send right now? Yeah. Assholes. Like, it, what are you doing? It was yeah. so, like, weird to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, whoa, whoa, blue lives mattered until January 6th. Then they didn't matter anymore. Right. And it was like, whoa. I, I never would have thought I'd seen that happen. But throwing this in there, because I love to do it, I think always the thing for me, and I think I've discussed it with you both at different points, is like where you draw the line at like, these people, Ian, they see themselves like you, right? They see themselves as fighting for their country. And like, I've I've had this conversation with both of you before at the way that, you know, me as someone who has never had interest in joining an extremist organization or a government military of what we have deemed as like legitimate violence and legitimate extremist behavior, right? Um, like going to war is like very extreme and like, terrorists people like people who become terrorists and people who join these extremist organizations they feel about their cause like you feel about your country and it's just an interesting you know these people really did see themselves as 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 doing what you're doing like obviously they're not but like that's how they see it and i think that's an interesting line to draw in a, an interesting conversation to have of like where you know that line is like Governments aren't always right. And that, like, obviously the American government isn't always right. And I don't think these people are right either, but I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, um, I think... Storming the Capitol is one thing, like in terms of like the actual act of it and all of that. But I, I just think in terms of like the mindset of people who are involved in like the military or like an extremist organization mm -hmm. or like a, a civilian, uh, you know, paramilitary organization or whatever is like, is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I think country and way of life are different. Although they can be synonymous, but they're different. But like Algeria, for example, got its independence through extremists, like through terrorists. Attacks. Yes. You know what I mean? So like, it's like, it's always like, oh, but now we look back and we're like, okay, well, that was the only way that was going to happen. Cool. But like, not cool. You know what I mean? And right. so it's easy to see how somebody in this situation could think that, um, that they're doing something good, you know, like the, mm -hmm. I don't think these people like think they're doing something bad. I think that they're, um, incredibly brainwashed and misinformed, uh, and that they think that they're legitimately like being patriots and taking back their country, which I just think like is, you know, and yeah. I, I, so we looked at social media, mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of that, that beef is, you know, you look at the algorithms of these, these social media sites that, that, you know, you, if you express a political view, right? Um, that's what it starts to show you. So it, it kind of moves you into these echo chambers. And unfortunately, mm. you know, if, if your entire circle and it, on these, on these platforms is like-minded individuals, mm. that's the only thing you hear. So indoctrination is going to happen, you know, and, and so many people live so much of their life on social media now that, that it's, it's just going to be a byproduct. And yeah. whether it's especially people who are older, who have less like savvy and understanding the algorithms and whatnot. And like the thing for me has been like the politicization of the pandemic. Like yeah. this is not a political issue. It's a health issue. Yeah. I'm not listening to a politician about this. I'm going to listen to doctors. Um, 
I am luckily have people in my life who are doctors and epidemiologists and whatnot. But like the politicization of that is like wild to me. Wow, we really got off track. But what's interesting is what you were saying about people really, really believing mm. what it is that they're doing is the right thing mm. because of the information that they're continuously fed mm-hmm. is very cultish behavior. Yes. And I think it kind of leads into the conversation about whether the military is a cult or not. What do you which reckon, Which is the last Ian? thing you wanted to go into. It is. I did want to talk about the idea of the military as a cult. What do you think? Uh, short answer has got to be yes. Um, okay. Just because you do. You have to give up uh, of yourself. You have mm. to conform to uh, a new set of rules, a new set of living, right? They give you clothes to wear. Um, you have to stand in boxes and lines. And so it's very, it'd be very easy to make like the military and the discipline structure, like look like a cult. And, you know, we have to recite, you know, the army song, the army pledge, the warrior ethos, the, you know, and there's I mean? an army pledge that's separate. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's y'all a, love your pledges over here. There's a bunch of them. Like, <laughs> I've, I've had to memorize like five or six throughout my career. So wow. I've immediately forgotten once I didn't need them anymore, but like, um, Oh, somebody's going to ding me for that one. But, uh, oh, shit. Wait, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, retire, yeah. retire. You can edit stuff. No. Uh, but, like, uh, but so it would be very easy to, to make that comparison and say, uh, and, and say, yes, uh, it is, it is, it is cult like. Um, the only thing I, th- I think would be different uh, is people aren't um, sold on it by a charismatic leader. Right. Um, um, but you are maybe by a charismatic recruiter. There's no, there's no sure. David Koresh. <laughs> uh, there's no and, David and there Koresh. are, there are those that get, you know, sold from by a career recruiter who told them a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but it worked out for me, so it's okay. Uh, so, but, but there are those, you know, who, who join for different reasons. And, and, and that's been one of the greatest questions for me to ask of all of the people I've worked with. Why are you here? Mm. What brought mm. you here? And, everybody's story is different. A lot of them sound similar, but they're very different. Um, I had a bunch of college debt and the army had a a college payback uh, program Mm -hmm. for a while. Um, You know, I wanted to get out of where I, you know, my thing, I wanted to get out of where I was to freaking, you know, give my family a a chance to develop independence. And um, I wanted to, you know, or or these people wanted to get out to go do this, or it was a a heritage lineage thing, you know, and a lot of uh, people do it for green cards. Uh, Like, I know you can get it's a fast track to citizenship, right? Like, I met a bunch of guys in DC, I think they were like 2021, they were in the military, and they were from South America, and they had joined because they wanted a fast track to citizenship. Yeah. One of my greatest moments as a leader in the army was attending the naturalization ceremony of Socrates Angulo. Let's say his full fucking name. Love this dude. Um, and we went to his ceremony, like the whole section. I shut the entire section down and said, we're Aww. going. And so we were all there uh, when when he became a US citizen. And, wow. and that was uh, momentous. And that's something I'll never forget uh, it, because it was such a big deal. And, mm. and it is. And I've known uh, Socrates got his. My buddy Andre Corson, who was from the Ukraine, actually, um, he got his citizenship um, by serving. Wow. So, mm. uh, so yeah, that, there's, there's that, too, uh, which is weird because then you've got these, like, foreign nationals who joined to get their citizenship. So you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, are yeah, you, yeah. I, like, <laughs> I was so I'd never heard of this before. And when I was talking to them, I'm like, but you're not like, I'm like, you're serving in the military. You're not even a citizen. And they're like, yeah. 
I had no fucking idea yep. that that was a fast track to citizenship. They're like, and but when I'm done, yeah. I'm gonna be. <laughs> the idea that like you've got these like you know non-Americans serving for America who can't even vote, like <sighs> that's wild. Yep. You know, I can't. I can't even imagine. It's yeah, that's wild to me. It's really something else. Mm. Okay, so military is a cult, and your congratulations on um, I guessing. Getting deprogrammed then from uh, in civilian <laughs> society. Am I though, or am I just going to take it with me and be like, "Why does this civilian company suck so bad?" Like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you guys are not organized. Yeah. Everybody's wearing different clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I'm going to be okay with that one because, like, my, the job that I have now, like, has that that part of it. I've I've transitioned really well because we we work in a research lab, so we don't wear uniforms very often. Oh, oh, great. Nice. So, so that's been kind of a, over the last couple of years, it's been a nice transition to, I had to go buy clothes because I didn't have business casual. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, mm. what the fuck is business casual? So I you just <laughs> had t-shirts. You just had a bunch of whiskey t-shirts and a military uniform. Jeans <laughs> and bands. Like that was it. Like I just wear t-shirts, <laughs> jeans, and bands. I'd be like, Ian, you got to no. Like you need buttons on your shirt. Like, oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, good luck. And thank you so much for talking to us. This is such a great conversation. Yeah, to have, it was a great which I just time. feel like this is like, you know, with your uh, Tavern in Question podcast, it's like the kind of conversation you would have at a bar, you know, like when I travel around, it's like when would the three of us like ever ordinarily meet? Cross paths. Uh, yeah, so right. it's been such a privilege. And thanks for being as candid with us as you felt comfortable. Thank you for having me, guys. I have uh, enjoyed every moment. Love the show. Listen to you guys religiously. <laughs> Not cultishly, right? Just, just. No, it's okay. We're moving towards cult leader. It's Don't fine. worry, we'll program you soon. Add <laughs> <laughs> one cult into another. There we go. Thanks for listening. Cult America is co-hosted and produced by us, Lisa Charlotte and Carl Joseph Black. Our production partner is Three Springs Media. Our research assistant is Thea Smith, and our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Soundtrack is by King Virtue and So Soon. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps. We release bonus episodes there where we cover American movies. You can get in touch with us at cultusapod.com. You can leave comments on the episodes or you can contact us through the contact form. You can also find us on Twitter at cultusapod. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, please send a voice clip to the email address in our show notes. And that's it. See you later. My ancestors ain't died for me to be taking shit from no crackers. You want me to preach peace. But my frequency is on ratchet Don't wanna protest when a whole ratchet Don't wanna hold tep a whole balance Every chant for white lies or rant a white lies So we show them that black lives matter Last night I had a dream The cops were harassing